opportunity to be together. We have a number of visitors with us, and if you're visiting, we do want you to know how much we appreciate you coming our way. We're thankful that you've chosen to be with us, and we hope that the time that you spend here today will benefit you. We are always encouraging those who are looking for a church home to consider the work here. We have a great family. We'd love to have you as a part of that family. We would love to work with you and to support you as you serve the Lord in your life. We are looking today at the book of Jonah. And today as we look at the book of Jonah, I want to just very quickly say tonight in our study, we are looking at Acts chapters 10 and 11. And Acts chapters 10 and 11 are significant in the fact that this is Luke recording for us the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's redemptive plan. And there are a lot of folks that have this idea that God was unconcerned about the Gentiles. Well, that wasn't the case. And the book of Jonah shows that. And so these two lessons in some ways tie together. Jonah, a prophet of God, is instructed to go to Gentile people and to preach to them. And so we'll be talking tonight about Acts chapters 10 and 11. In the book of Jonah, we have what I believe to be a great book in the Old Testament. It demonstrates for us God's concern for His creation. We have all been made in the image and the likeness of God. God used the nation of Israel as a vehicle to bring the Christ into the world. Israel was designed to be a witness to the pagan nations around them. And we read of a number of people that proselyted to the Jewish religion. Jonah's interesting in the sense that here is a prophet to the northern kingdom. And God specifically sends him to Gentile people. Because unless they straighten up, God said, I will punish you. I want to begin our study today by first of all talking about the character of the city of Nineveh. Now the Bible talks about the corruption that was in this great city. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. In chapter 4 we learn that there were about 120,000 young people living in that city, which would equate to probably a population of some 600,000 people or so. So this was a big city, a lot of people there. And Jonah has been instructed by God to go and to preach to these people. So note, if you would, how the prophet characterizes this city. Beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Now listen. For their wickedness has come up against, or rather come up before me. Jonah was from a small town just north of Nazareth, about three to four miles north of Nazareth, a town by the name of Gath-Hefer. As I said a moment ago, he was a prophet to the northern kingdom. But God said regarding the Assyrian people or the Ninevite city, 
Number one, they were a wicked city. And not just a wicked city, but a wayward city. Now Jonah says in chapter 1, verse 2 of his book, the wickedness of this city came up before God. You know, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So God sees all, God knows all, doesn't he? If God were to survey the city of Memphis or the city of Isle of Branch today, what would his conclusion be? If God were to go from city to city in this country and begin looking at the various cities that comprise our great nation, on the West Coast, San Diego, Los Angeles, or if He were to go to the East Coast and look at New York City, Southeast to Atlanta, what would, God's, what would His assessment be of these cities? The Bible says regarding Nineveh, their wickedness came up before Him. Now we could literally go to city to city around the world and ask the same question. If God were to visit Paris, what would He say? If He were to go to Berlin or Bonn again, what would the assessment be? God sees all. God knows all. I suspect that when God began looking at the various cities around the globe today, that He would see a lot of wickedness and a lot of waywardness. When you think about, this is a nation responsible for over 50 million deaths by way of abortion. That blood is on the hands of somebody, isn't it? And then you think about our judicial system that has now made law for same-sex marriage. Never thought that possible. Then the countless numbers of murder and rape and crime, I mean just an endless array of crime. And then what about the drug abuse? The alcoholism? I mean, when you begin to survey the various cities, not just in America, but around the world, would the cities around the world be any different than what God saw in the city of Nineveh? I doubt it. So we think about the corruption of Nineveh, but then note if you would, note if you would what is said. The Bible says that there was concern on behalf of God for Nineveh. Because again in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God called on this prophet to be a spokesman for him to the Ninevite people. God was saying to Jonah in the long ago, look, this is a large city, a metropolis. And there are a lot of folks here. There are a lot of young people here. And I'm concerned about their spiritual state, and I want you to go to them, and I want you to preach to them. God was concerned. We ought to be concerned today about lost people, shouldn't we? The Bible says God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Peter said, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance God is interested 
in lost people. And so, here is this great prophet called by God. Now, note if you would the commission. Look again at verse 2. God said to Jonah in the long ago, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Imagine if you can, God saying to you, I want you to go to our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. The wickedness of America is before me, and I want you to preach to these people. Would you do it? If God were to say to someone in France, I want you to go to the capital of France, to Paris, and I want you to preach to those people, would you do it? If God were to say, I want you to go to Germany and preach to the capital city in Berlin, would you have the courage and the conviction, the commitment to go and to say what needed to be said? Would you have that kind of conviction? Now, Jonah has tremendous responsibility resting upon his shoulders. He has been instructed by Almighty God to go and to preach to these people. With that in mind, I want you to consider for a moment or two what the text says in verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. Now, Tarshish was about 500 miles. Well, actually, Nineveh was about 500 miles to the northeast. Tarshish is about 2,000 miles west, actually on the southwest corner of Spain. And so God's saying, I want you to go this way. And what did Jonah do? He went the opposite direction. Why? Well, one reason is because the Ninevite people, the Assyrian people, were going to be used by God to judge the northern kingdom. And Jonah knew something about the character or the nature of Almighty God. Down in chapter 4, Listen, if you would, to what is said about the character of God. Jonah said regarding the Lord. He said, I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, one who is slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who will relent from the harm that he has said he would bring upon a city. So Jonah knew about the goodness of God as a patriot, he stood with His people and He stood for His people. So when God said, I want you to go to this group of people, people that are known for their ruthlessness, they were barbaric, their cruelty was incredible to other people. And I can just imagine Jonah saying, you want me to go where? You want me to go to these people? Now the text says in chapter 1, verse 3, that Jonah seeks to leave the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa. And we know that he boarded a ship. He's going to be a prophet on the run. 
Let me just say this. Whenever we try to live outside the will of God, spiritually speaking, we are always moving in the direction that's called south. Jonah went down. And ultimately, when we step outside the will of God, we are moving in a downward direction, a direction that can only lead to disaster, to destruction, to heartache and sorrow and trial. So Jonah's fleeing from the presence of the Lord, even though he really couldn't get away from God. He tried, he tried to. The latter part of chapter 1 tells us that on this ship, God brought a great tempest and storm. Ultimately, Jonah requests that the sailors throw him overboard. Chapter 2 tells us that Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. It's amazing what a little bit of time in the belly of a fish will do to reprioritize life. So after three days and three nights in the fish, the Bible says that Jonah is now a changed man. So pick up with me, if you would, now in chapter 3. Let's think about the command to the city of Nineveh. First, I want to talk about the source of the message. The book began by saying, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Listen now to what it said in verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. God is the one who originated this message. God had a message He wanted the Ninevite people to hear. God has a message today that He wants people to hear, doesn't He? Isn't it true that Jesus said in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life? And didn't the Apostle Paul say, When we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly? I mentioned again the words of Paul when he said, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is interested in people. God's desire is that we enjoy fellowship with Him. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. God wants to give you an abundant life, a rich life, a satisfied life, a content life. The message that we bring to a lost and dying world is that there is hope in Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we share. The source of the message that we share comes from Almighty God. But then note if you would, we think about how this message originated with the Lord, but there was imposed upon Jonah the obligation to fulfill God's will regarding the Ninevite people. Verse 2, God said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. I have no authority to preach anything other than what God has set forth in His Word. I have no liberty to step outside the boundaries of God's Word. You remember Haggai in the long ago? Haggai said he was the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. We have a message to share. Jonah had a message to share. That message originated with God, and he was obligated to God to fulfill that call, wasn't he? 
Listen to what Jesus said. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What the world needs today is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the unadulterated truth of Almighty God. And didn't Jesus say, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free? He sure did. Truth is what will set people free from the bondage of sin. And so as we think about the source of this message, message, think secondly about the seriousness of this message. Note if you would verse 3. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. First, think of how concise this message was. Eight words. And God's saying, in forty days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Imagine if God imposed upon you forty days. You've got forty days to live. What would you do? If God said to you, in 40 days, at the conclusion of 40 days, you're going to be in eternity, would you change anything in your life? Would you make adjustments in your life? And as you begin ripping those pages off the calendar, you're at 35, you're at 30, now you're at 20, 15, now you're inside 10. Would that change your behavior in any way? These people had 40 days to get their act together because God said, if you don't get yourself together, I will overthrow you. I'll destroy you. Again, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And God would ultimately use the Assyrian people to bring judgment upon the northern kingdom. They would be swept into Assyrian captivity in about 722, 721 B.C., never again to return. These are the people that Jonah's told to go preach to. These are the very people that God said, I'm concerned about them. I don't want them to be overthrown. The conciseness of the message. The message that we teach and preach today is very concise, isn't it? It is a distinctive message. Was that not distinctive? I mean, you think about, here's the prophet, and he's going around the city, and he's saying, in 40 days, Nineveh's going to be overthrown. Didn't the apostle Paul say on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, the times of, the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. If we stood before Congress or Senate, we had an audience with the vice president, the president, the powers that be in this nation, if we could stand before them and say to them, as Paul said to the Athenians, God commands all men everywhere to do what? To repent. Why? Because there's a coming day of judgment. Paul said he'll judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He's given assurance to all men in that he raised him from the dead. To understand that there is coming a day when we will all stand before Almighty God. The conciseness of the message. And then, what about the clarity of this message? 
Again, think about what the prophet said. Forty days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Anybody not understand that? If God dispatched you to go to Washington, D.C., and hypothetically, if we were to stand before the powers that be and say, listen, as a nation of people, as a capital city, you have 40 days to get your act together, or I'm telling you, God's going to judge you. Would it resonate? Would it make a difference in the hearts and minds of the people? Would there be enough concern on their part to reach out to other people in our country and to say, you know what, we better get it right? Our nation was founded by people who were in search of, they were on a quest for religious freedom. Today it's no more, it's no more about religious freedom. It is about freedom from religion, isn't it? I mean, that's really, that, that's really the era that we're now living in. People no longer want to be bound to the shackles of what we call the Word of God. They're not interested in God. The people to whom Jonah was sent, was, they were a barbaric, a very cruel nation of people. They were responsible for any number of atrocities. And yet God said, Jonah, I want you to go to that city. And I want you to preach, I want you to preach your heart out to those people. Now, we talk about the gospel of Christ today. It is a concise message, message and it is a clear message, is it not? How could, anybody understand, how could anyone misunderstand the fact that the God that we serve is a God of love? We lift up the one of whom John said, God is love. We lift up the Christ who was lifted up for us. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. That's the one that we're pointing people in the direction of. And we're saying, as Jesus did, unless people come to an understanding of the deity of Jesus Christ, they'll die in their sins. How could anyone misinterpret what Jesus said in John chapter 8? Except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. How could anyone misunderstand the message Paul shared on Mars Hill in Athens when he said God commands all men everywhere to repent? Concise, yes. Clear, absolutely. Take a, think for a minute about the words of Jesus. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. A first grader could understand that. You think about it. The conciseness the clarity of that statement. Now here's the question, do we believe it? You know, there are a lot of folks that talk about their belief in Jesus, their love for Jesus, their desire to live for Jesus, and then they want to quibble about what the Bible says regarding salvation. Did Jesus, did Jesus say something that He really didn't mean? What a question. He was the Son of God. Did He know what He was talking about? Didn't Jesus say, All power, all authority has been given unto Me in heaven and on earth? How anyone could misunderstand the plainness of the gospel, I don't know. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins. As Peter acknowledged, the just for the unjust. Why? That He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh made alive by the Spirit, 
1 Peter 3, 18. Jesus gave His life for our sins. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, we are lost. As Paul said, we are without hope, without God in this world. What makes the difference? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off are made nigh, brought near by what? By the blood of Christ. So you mean to tell me that when we are obedient to the gospel of Christ, that we enjoy the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Jesus? That's exactly right. How could anyone miss that? fact of the matter is, you just can't misunderstand it. So here's this great prophet of God. His message is concise and it is clear, crystal clear. So, that being said, what happened in that city? Note, if you would, the conversion of the city of Nineveh. First, their repentance toward God. In verse 5, the Bible says, the people of Nineveh believed God. One of the real problems we have in our culture today, there is a disconnect between people and God's Word. The real problem we face in this country and globally speaking is that when it is all boiled down, we really don't believe God, do we? Because if we did believe God, we would do what He said. Think about that. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. So the Bible says the people believe God. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. First we think about the belief of these people and then their behavior. What did they do? They repented, didn't they? Well, how do I know that? Because he said they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. God's word shook the king shook him to his core. And so he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily to his God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. The king got it, didn't he? And here's the king of Nineveh, and he is saying to his own people, listen, we've got to straighten up. Why? Because in 40 days, we're done. Unless we get our act together, God's coming and there will be a payday. Verse 9, Who can tell? if God will turn and relent and turn away from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now look at verse 10. In verse 10, we have another sign of their behavior. Verse 10, the Bible says, God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. Listen, repentance is a work, isn't it? It takes a lot of work 
to put to death a sinful way of life, to give up the past. Why? Because sometimes we're so deep in the mire of sin that it takes a lot of work to get out. And so the Bible says, God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that He said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. That's an amazing thought. God said, listen, I'm going to punish you unless you change. They were willing to change, and what did God do? God said, I'll spare you. Sadly, about 150 years later, a prophet by the name of Nahum came on the scene. The repentance of the people in the city of Nineveh was short-lived because they went back to their old ways. And Nahum the prophet said, God's going to judge you. But note if you would, the relenting of the Lord. The king said that maybe God will turn, or rather maybe God will relent from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Well, why was that? I mean, why would God in heaven make the decree that he wouldn't punish them? I think two reasons. Number one, because as Jonah well knew, God is a gracious God. And God is a good God. There is a lot to be said about the goodness and graciousness of Almighty God. Where would we be without God's grace and mercy and love? Where would we be without the goodness of Almighty God? You know, Paul said the goodness of God leads to what? To repentance. Peter said, an account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. We ought to be grateful that we serve a God who is gracious Matter of fact, Jonah said it well. He said, you are a God of graciousness and mercy. You are one who is slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and you will relent from the harm that you said that you would inflict upon people. Says something about God. Says something to me and to you. But even with all of my sins, God still loves me. No matter how deep in the mire of sin I might find myself to understand there is a God in heaven who is gracious and good, who is merciful, patient and kind, demonstrating His loving kindness to all of us. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Sadly, the book tells us Jonah became angry when these people amended their ways and God said he wouldn't punish them. Why? Because again, he was a patriot. He didn't like the Assyrians. He didn't like those people. He knew that if he went and preached that message that they might repent, and if they repented, what would God do? He'd spare them. Jonah had to have a readjustment in his spiritual perspective. What this book says to me is that God is concerned about the entirety of humanity. The song that we sing, the gospel is for all. 
The gospel is for every person, the rich, the poor, the educated and the uneducated, the male and the female. God's desire for the human family is that we might be saved. Jesus said it best in the shadow of the cross. This is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. To intimately know God, to acknowledge His Son, and to walk in His paths. Jonah had a soul-stirring message. The message that a lost and dying world needs to hear today is, Jesus saves. That's the message of the cross. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. God has graciously extended the invitation to all people. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I'll give you rest. Jonah was preaching and teaching to people that needed to amend their ways. And they did it to their credit. My question to you today, if you're living in sin, are you really happy? Are you where you thought you would be at this point in time in your life? Is your spiritual life in order? Are you serving God gladly and faithfully? If not, my plea to you would be come to Christ. The Assyrian people, I said they were cruel. Their reputation was well known. They were a godless nation of people. And yet, the Bible says, come, the gospel's for all. If we were good people, we wouldn't need the Lord, would we? But we need Him. And how grateful we are that we can look to Him for salvation. Today, if you're here and you're not a Christian, very easy to understand what the Bible has to say. Pentecost Day, the birth of the church, Peter and the other apostles asked what they needed to do. They were convicted of sin. They had put to death the Son of God, the Messiah. And Peter said, here's what you need to do. Number one, you need to repent. And number two, you need to be baptized into Jesus Christ so that all your sins can be washed away. I don't care what your sin is. God will forgive any sin. He will forgive all sin because that's the kind of God that we serve. The psalmist said, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. When you obey the gospel, the Lord will cleanse you by His blood. He'll add you to the church. And if you're faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life. If you're here today, Maybe you're not faithful. Maybe you need that wake-up call to get your life in order. We would be more than happy to pray with you and for you. James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing? Oh.